Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. We are in Ruth chapter 1. We are continuing on in our series called Rewritten about the book of Ruth. As I mentioned in the earlier sermon, it is very easy to presume that this book is about love, and love is in the book. But the essence of the book of Ruth is not love. It's actually a series of stories. Last week, we looked at a story, a name, Elimelech. If you remember the name Elimelech, he was a gentleman that made a decision for his family. While there was a famine in the land that he was in in Bethlehem, he decided to go to Moab, knowing God had clearly told him, don't go to Moab. He went because he wanted financial provision, all the while forsaking spiritual provision. What we asked last week, was we tend to fall into that same habit and pattern of making decisions that we need now all the while forsaking what God thinks. God's thought pattern on a given matter. We tend to move beyond that when we want what we want. Oftentimes we'll put good code words on it like God told me to do it but not really engaging God's people, not actually engaging God's word. This was the life of Elimelech. And Elimelech led his family down a road where he was the one now writing the story. And what we asked early on was if God has permission to write the next chapter of your life. You know, God's adventurous. The next chapter of your life could be anything. Can God, do you give God the authority to write the next chapter of your life? Does he have authority to speak into your life and to be the real guide, the guiding factor and the deciding factor of your life? As we looked at Elimelech's decisions, we now move into Naomi's grief. Elimelech and Naomi were married and they had moved over to Moab together. And you see at the very beginning of the story, Elimelech ends up dying there in Moab. It says in Ruth chapter one, verses three through five, Naomi's husband Elimelech died and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, Both Mahlon and Chilion also died, and Naomi was left with her two children and without her husband. So here, you have this moment where Elimelech has his wife, Naomi, but he dies. So Naomi is there by herself. Naomi has to work through that. She's living in Moab as as an immigrant, trying to figure out her life. And so what anyone would do, you try to build your life up. So she has these two sons, Mahlon and Chilion. As Elimelech dies, she thinks to herself, okay, well, maybe my sons will continue to grow in favor with God. And they end up having wives, Orpah and Ruth. So the next thought for Naomi is, 
man, my sons will have children of their own so that our name will be extended. Because you have to understand, for a woman of that time, having their name be extended through their sons was of the foremost, um, it was of the foremost uh, agenda. It was the very thing that she was thinking she had to do. So she thinks to herself, okay, well, Mothlone and Chilion will have kids. And for years, her children never have children. They're barren. And through that barrenness, she has to deal with the weight of wondering, when is God going to show up in my children's lives so I can have grandchildren to ensure that our name would go on? And then her two sons die. Mahlon and Chilion die. And there we are left with Orpah, Ruth, and Naomi, all widows together. And it makes you pause for a second and wonder the kind of grief that Naomi had to go through. I find it interesting that we love to call this a book of love. And we so easily run past the grief in the very first chapter. Maybe it's because that's how we live our lives. That we don't want to look at suffering. That when we see someone grieving, we say, I can't imagine that. And we want so quickly to get past the very ugly nature of this world. No, look at it. Stare at the grief that she has to endure. When God is writing a story He does not feel like he needs PR. He will allow himself to be seen in a moment where people are wondering about his character. God in and of himself shows this woman grieving. Church, hear me. In one of the chapters of your life, you will be struck with grief. And if you are not struck with grief, you will be adjacent to grief. You will be amongst the grieving. You will be around those who are grieving. Grieving is a part of our world. Grieving is knowing that I wanted something desperately. I expected a husband. I expected grandchildren. And now I'm a window. Grieving, suffering, feeling the weight of this world. And God doesn't try to make the Bible a big highlight reel. God doesn't try to make the Bible his Instagram to show the happy moments. God's like, you can see pain in my book because somehow God thinks he's still beautiful through pain. Grieving is a highly individualized experience. There's no right way to grieve. There's no wrong way to grieve. Depends on many factors, your faith, your personality, your background. Nora McErnie, in 2014, she lost her second pregnancy. In that same year, her dad died of cancer. And later on in that same year, her husband, at the age of 35, died of brain cancer. One of the things that she realized was her friends did not know what to do. and They wanted so desperately for her to move on because they want to see her laugh again. 
They don't want to see her in pain. And Nora McGurney ended up getting married again, having two kids again, having a minivan with a blended family, a husband she loves. One of the things she said was her first husband that had died, when it would get cold, he was very warm-bodied, so she would put her hands underneath his shirt, and it would be this little fun thing they do. And when he was slowly dying, and he finally, she finally heard that, that deafening sound on the meter, she said she put her hands underneath his shirt to feel him one last time. And she, every now and then her hands get cold and she remembers him. She says, I can't move on from that. She says, my, my husband Aaron is gone, but he's still very real to me. Those moments are very real to me. And that's why grieving in and of itself is a long process of still embracing those memories, but being able to walk through life and embrace people. And the reason why I think it's so important is Christians are some of the worst people to deal with grieving. Even as I've studied this text, I've listened to sermons and I've read books and I've looked at scholars and everyone's like Naomi, oh, she needs to move on. And I'm just like, well, really? Maybe that's why we so quickly act like things are okay. Because we think God is the God of moving on. As if God couldn't allow us to just be upset with him and be able to express our pain, as Naomi will see, you'll see in this chapter. We want, we want Naomi to have dynamic faith that moves mountains after having a famine that she worked through in Bethlehem having then been displaced in Moab, then becoming a widow, then being childless, and now the fact that she has no husbands and no sons, she is now socially marginalized and oppressed. But put a smile on your face, girl, because God is good. We want to move people past their pain. And God, in a raw way, in this chapter says, nope, I'm going to show you how hard pain can be. Do you know, do you know what they call a person, a wife, when she loses a husband? Call him a widow. Do you know what they call a husband? They call him a widower. When a child loses their parent, they call him an orphan. Do you know there's no name for when a parent loses a child? There's no word that you can capture it by. There's no title to give it. Because it's almost this unexpressible, undefined pain. We don't have a name for it. And so here, we see this nameless kind of pain in Naomi. Naomi most likely expresses 
what the psalmist said in Psalm 10 and 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? I love what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, it's not that you're not there, you're hiding. Because if you saw me, you would do something. If you cared, you would not be crouching away from my pain. You would acknowledge it. You would care. And if you are going to walk with God, you are going to run right up into the psalmist's world and ask, where are you in my pain? That's what we see here with Naomi. Ruth chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 I wonder if you guys would read this with me. We're going to start with the word Naomi on three. One, two, three. Naomi said to them, Do you understand what's happening with Naomi? She's going back now to Bethlehem after having been in Moab. She's taking this long road back to be with old family and old friends. And those women, Orpah and Ruth, are saying, hey, we want to go with you. You are our family now. And she's like, no, ladies, I am going to be by myself. You, you all go get husbands for yourself. The word there, show kindness, it's the word in Hebrew, hesed. Let God show his loyal love to you. Let God be loyal to you. I'm going to do my own thing. The two women are requesting, no, we want to be with you. When people are grieving, it is very real for them to want to be alone. It is very real for them to want to isolate themselves. One author said the stages of grief, in the first stage is candor, honesty with themselves, and we can isolate. And stage two is complaining, yelling out to God. And stage three is crying, now you're asking for God for help. And in stage four, you are seeking God's comfort. You are receiving the help of God. And these are not sequential. They can often be cyclical. You can feel these waves all over the place. But oftentimes, those who have suffered great loss, the first thing they're thinking to themselves is, I got to get me together. Orpah, you lost my son. When you think about your husband, I think about my son. I don't want to deal with your pain and mine. I need space for me. And so oftentimes, those who are suffering, it, it will feel like rejection. But it is really their inability to accept your burden and theirs. I can only bear the weight of my own issues right now. That is essentially what Naomi is saying. Then in verse 10, well, they say to her, like good friends, no, girl, we, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. In other words, go back to Moab. Why do you want to go with me? And then she goes into this, almost, she's almost like a lawyer, giving them reasons why they shouldn't want her anymore. Am I able to have any more sons who 
you could, who could become your sons? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I'm too whole, old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? <clears throat> what she is speaking of is what's called the Levite marriage. Essentially what it's saying is when there was a widow in the family, the son oftentimes would step in in order to take care of the child, of the, of the wife or the widower. And so what ends up happening is she's saying, oh, Y'all hanging around me because y'all want me to have another son. I got you. Well, guess what? I'm old, so how about that? And another thing, if, even if I were to have a child, are you going to wait? Are you going to wait? Okay, then. Leave me alone, right? And you can feel the intensity. And if you're honest, sometimes you've had people get close to you, and you've given them reasons to step off, amen? Like, she's just saying, I'm not the kind of person you want to be around right now. And she's digging into their motive. What do you really want? You really want my sons. Now, we don't know if that's the exact thing they wanted, but in her mind, she's thinking that's all you could want. And oftentimes the hurting, the grieving, the people who are in traumatic and post-traumatic situations, they are heat-seeking missiles to find the agenda of people who want to get close to them. What do you really want? And so she gives them this laid out pattern thought of why they shouldn't get close to her. And then she says, no, in verse, the other part of verse 13, no, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord, the Lord's hand has turned against me Again, they wept loudly. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, now she's speaking to Ruth, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. The words to hang on there are kissed, clung. Orpah <clears throat> hears Naomi's rejection and she kisses her goodbye. But Ruth clings to her. The word for cling, it's the word debak in, in, in Hebrew. It, it essentially means to hold tightly. It's often used of a husband and a wife when they come together and they, they, they are cleaving to one another. They are being close. And what essentially we are seeing in the heart of Ruth is, I am going to be committed to you even though you want to reject me. I'm going to push through your pain and I am going to stay. And it is amazing how the scriptures are showing us both. It is interesting that the names here have some meaning, I guess. Um, the name Ruth means friend. That's essentially what she's doing. And the name Orpah means neck. And she said, if you're going to reject me, you're going to see the back of my neck. <laughs> and she just pieces her out, right? And to be honest with you, if I could be quite honest with you, 
not, of a, not all of us can bear the emotional weight of being rejected by the people we love. I'm not saying what Orpah did was right, but I understand. You know what I'm saying? Like, there comes a point where it's like, you know what, girl? You know what? Okay, you don't want, you know, because I, I can't deal with my issues and yours. And so Orpah takes a step back, but Ruth presses in. Ruth, verse 16, she replies, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do severely, if anything but death, separates you and me. Now you gotta understand, Ruth has no promises given to her. There's no divine blessing she understands. She doesn't understand the covenants of God. She has no possessions. She has no one to support her. She is essentially giving up marriage in a male-dominated society, and she is therefore committing herself to a poor widow and destitute poverty because she is committing herself to this woman. She is going to care for her no matter what, even if Naomi continues to reject her. She presses in. Now, what do you think Ruth, I'm sorry, Naomi would say? You would think Naomi would be like, girl, thank you so much. You've been here for me. Girl, thank you. Come here. Do you know what happens? In verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. Do you know what this means? They're on the road. Like, have you ever been on a long road trip with like introverted people? Like there's Kawhi Leonard introverted. You know what I'm saying? Like super introverted people, like they just don't talk. And it's just like, and, but this is the thing. She's not, she's not just not talking. She's like, I stopped talking to you because now you're committed to me and now I know you're gonna be in my life. You see, for Naomi, relationships equal pain. You see, everybody I've been close to hurt me. Everybody I let in. They, had a, they, they, they were with me and now they're gone. And so you're gonna get close to me now too? I can't even deal with you. I can't even put that weight on my back. And so she just walks. There is no celebration for her faithfulness. What is wrong with Naomi? It's her heart. She has a broken heart. It's hard for her to love other people. She's weighed down with past. She's hurting. 
The Proverbs, Proverbs 13 and 12 says, hope delayed makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Do you feel that weight of that? That when I expected a relationship to work out, when I thought we were going to be together forever and you die and you leave, there's something in my heart that doesn't work the same. And we are seeing the sickness of her heart, the weight of her expectations, and the bitterness of her soul. And then in response, we are seeing Ruth press in. The Hubbard translation of Ruth 1.16 says, do not pressure me to desert you, to give up following you. Ruth says, I am going to stay. And did you notice something amazing in verse 16? Ruth ends up a woman who was a Moabite woman who worshiped the God of Chemosh, a God who accepted child sacrifice. She ends up saying, I want your God. She says, for wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll be your people, my people, your God, my God. I want your God too. Now, let me ask you all this. What has been attractive about God in any of this chapter? What's, what's God's good? Where? What's been so good about God? What would compel her to be attracted to her God. She didn't have to say that. She could be like, oh, I'm with your land. I'm going to follow you. She did not say, I will take on your God. I will convert. I will transition. I will follow your God. What was it about God? We think that God needs PR. Yeah, we got to just talk about the good side. We think that God needs someone to negotiate his reputation so that he can be more acceptable in the social realm. We try to skip past the hard things about God because he'll be less attractive. And it is in this chapter we see there is nothing attractive working through Naomi's life, but somehow God is still beautiful. Did you know that there are people who don't put makeup on because they know, in, in, the, in, in the philosopher Beyonce would say, I woke up like this, right? Like I'm flawless, right? And we think God, we need to put circumstantial makeup on God so to make him look good, right? To make God seem like he'll be better. And God without props and makeup is still beautiful. God is still worthy without a great and good life. God is still good. And somehow Naomi sees his beauty. Um, Ruth sees his beauty through Naomi's brokenness. <laughs> and in our evangelistic endeavors, we think we have to just kind of Oh, I don't want to tell you all that because you won't really be into God. God is good all by himself. What if we served a God that was attractive through tragedy? What if we served a God who doesn't need our props? Who is God to you? When we take away, when he take away, you know how he blessed you with great income? Some of you, amen, that, 
20% of the crowd. Some of y'all were like, I'm still. Yeah. <laughs> Friendships, finances, relationships. Who is God when those things are gone? Is God still good without props? You see, God will flatten you. This chapter is so indicative of how God is able to show himself and not be concerned and say, yes, this happened. And still believe he can be drawing you. And here, Ruth is drawn to the beauty of God. The two of them traveled, verse 19, the two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. And when they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited. <gasps> Y'all, here go Naomi. Naomi, Naomi. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. They're running up. Hey, girl. <laughs> and they're saying, can this be Naomi? Now, what most scholars would say is that Naomi looks different that Naomi has been through some things and people are wondering, is this the same Naomi? And Naomi rolls up in verse 20 and says, don't call me Naomi, right? Now, when you read this, some of you relate to this. Some of you come into church, it's like, yo, you're like, ah, right? Not now. They're like saying hello. It's like, no, I don't even feel like dealing, right? Because you, right now, you don't even want to interact with people. Don't call me Naomi. She says, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, you know, several years ago, over 10 years ago, when I went away over to Moab, I was full, I had kids, I was vibrant, I had life, I had everything, but the Lord has brought me back empty. I got this daughter-in-law who won't leave me alone. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has opposed me. Look at that not been with me. He's opposing me. Everything I want, he keeps coming against. And the Almighty has afflicted me. He's hurt me. So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Now, the name and names at that time have real meaning. The meaning of a name was also supposed to be or hopefully going to be indicative of your personality. And the name Naomi means pleasant. And that's why maybe they were so excited. You know those up people, you get excited to see, here come Naomi, oh, that's my girl, she's always lit, yay. Don't call me that anymore. I'm not that excited person anymore. In fact, when you call me, when you speak about me, think about where I am now. Call me Mara, and that means bitter. I'm bitter now. Yeah, I'm bitter because of the life that I'm in now. 
Yeah, I'm bitter because of the weight of life I'm in. Yeah, I'm bitter because I expected God. We went over to Moab and we thought we were going to get some crops and I got death. And I thought, I thought that I was going to see some grandkids and I lost my kids. And who am I now? No, don't even mention that old name. That was an old life. And God, don't even get me started on God. God, God supporting me? Everything I've wanted, he's taken away. Where is God? This, even her name was a sore point. And so in the heart of this text, we're looking at it in order to have compassion for Naomi because we know that she is dealing with the weight of unimaginable pain, losing two kids, losing a husband, being marginalized, unimaginable pain. We feel that pain. But there's also a warning in this text because bitterness comes from being hurt. Bitterness can be defined as anger and disappointment when you feel as if you've been treated unfairly, when your expectations led you down a road of dreaming and aspiring and expecting. And all of those things you dream for and all those expectations you had are no longer there. And God sometimes will not meet your expectations and sometimes he'll offer you the opposite. I want a relationship, but now I have loneliness. Oh, I wanted so much faith, but I got all this doubt. Sometimes you will experience the very opposite of what you wanted, and she is feeling the weight of that. And when bitterness, the seed of bitterness is in the heart, the soil of the heart allows it to grow into hostility. That's what you see in her. That's why she's so thorny. That's why she's so hard to be around. Because she sees God as an opposing force, as a God of unmet expectations. And so church, as I showed you the stages of grief there, there comes a point where we have to be able to give God our bitterness. That we have to be honest with God and cry out to God. But right now, Naomi is in a season where she don't want to talk to God and she don't want to talk to people. But if Naomi's not careful, that root, as in Hebrews, it talks about, that root of bitterness will continue to grow and it will lash out against people. And people will try to get close to you, but they can't because you're bitter about the past. And you're driving down life's road, looking in the rearview mirror, only able to reflect on the past, never seeing a vision for the future and you become this cynical person. And when people get married, you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, because you know, people leave, you know what I'm saying? That's all I know. People leave, you know what I'm saying? That's all I know, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. You see people, you know, they say hurt people hurt people. But bitter people, when people are bitter, they, they bring every story down. Even if you don't verbalize it in your heart, you bring it down. Who knows? I hope it works out. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Amen. I don't know. 
You frame everything from your past pain when you have a bitter heart. And it infects everything. Bruce Habel said, bitterness to a heart wound is what an infection is to a flesh wound. It begins to grow and spread. And it will contaminate, listen, it will contaminate good people trying to get close to you because you are so bitter about the past. And praise God, you, you might get some Ruths that press in and be like, I'm going to be your friend anyway. But there's going to be a lot of people like Orpah like, fine. I can't deal. And so you must bring your bitterness to God because he is close to the brokenhearted. As I was preparing for this, I realized when, what I said earlier about being grief-stricken, that you will be grief-stricken at some point if you haven't been already. You will be severely wounded in this life. Because even though God is good, life is hard. And so, by way of practicality, I want to offer you a step, not necessarily for those who are grieving, but those who will function like a Ruth, who will press in. Because the essence of this, the character that we're seeing press in is Ruth. And if you're honest with yourself, you have been around people who are grieving and you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. And so by way of practicality, let me just offer you three practical thoughts for those who will be a Ruth to someone. And listen, I pray you are a Ruth for someone. And I pray if you're not a Ruth for someone that you allow a Ruth, you allow a Ruth in your life because you can't isolate forever. You've got to let people in. I'm sorry, it's, you know, it's like those memes, I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but you cannot, you've got to let people in. You need relationships to be a healthy human being. Moreover, to be a healthy Christian, you need relationships. There is someone, God will call someone who will care for you. I'm not just talking about marriage. Notice this is not a marriage. These are two women in a functional relationship who care for one another. And God has not made the culmination, the height of relationships, marriage. He's made it himself. God is the height of relationship. And what you need is not a husband or a wife. You need a godly person who cares for you and that you will be open. You can't have people in your life if you are not open. You cannot go through a door that is closed. You've got to go when it's open. People cannot get in your life if you are not open. There cannot be a Ruth until you are open to a Ruth. Until you're open. And you must ask God to open your heart and not live in the bitterness of the past. And for those of you that are grieving actual death, people that are gone, my prayer is that you would just allow one or two people just to walk with you. But from a practical standpoint, the, the nature of Ruth, one thing, if you were going to be a Ruth to a Naomi, a friend to the grieving, 
Meet a tangible need. Please do not say, let me know if there's anything I can do. My friends, we've had uh, Jordan Rice preach here from um, out in uh, Harlem, Renaissance Church. Jordan lost his wife. Jessica lost her husband. And as they lost their husband and wife, they ended up meeting each other. And so now they are a husband and wife that have been widowed. And so they both, I reached out to them during this, as I was preparing, I'm like, you know, you guys married, you guys are married and both of you have lost a husband and a wife and ended up getting remarried. How did you deal with that? And they said the first thing, people kept reaching out to saying, hey, if there's anything I can do, let me know. And they thought to themselves, man, now I've got to think about this along with my grief and the weight. No, t- give me something specific. Tell me, hey, can I bring over pizza at seven o'clock tomorrow, at tomorrow night so that I get the chance to say no to you? Because see, sometimes I will reach out and you'll be busy and now I've got to deal with rejection all again. So when reaching out to those who are hurting, just ask for a specific request that you can do in a real tangible way. The other thing is to give space for them to grieve in their own way. Some people like to talk through grief. Some people don't want to talk. Pray that the Holy Spirit give you a discerning heart because the text doesn't go on to say, Ruth was like, girl, you need to talk to me. I ain't gonna let you not talk, stop. She's like, let's her be silent. And for some of you, silence is awkward, but, it's, but silence is an indication of presence. When you, when you are with somebody, never forsake the ministry of presence, just being with people. Words are not the only thing that comfort. Humanity can comfort. Being with people can be comforting, knowing you cared for me enough to just show up. But thirdly and lastly, The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep in Romans 12. When I was at a funeral for one of my dear friends, he lost his baby. It's actually a a Christian rapper. His name is Tadashi. He lost his little child. Baby's name was Chase. And I went down there and I saw Chase in this little casket. Chase had just had his one-year-old birthday party. He had his little hair parted to the side and a little white suit. And I remember when Tadashi walked in, one of his friends walked up to him and said, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And they hugs him and he's crying and he's crying and he's crying. And Tadashi now is there with them, comforting him. But do you see, as beautiful as that is, now the person who is hurting the most is now comforting you. When the Bible talks about grieving with those who grieve, it's not saying now, you see, when we say rejoice with those who rejoice, you know why we love that? It's like, Yo, I graduated. You did what? Ah, and we love to go crazy, right? We like to multiply the joy. It's like, turn up, get crazy. Okay, you got, you, oh, I'm about, I'm about to be there. Like, I'm be your hype man for your celebration. And sometimes we think we need to multiply the grief as well. 
I need to show you how I'm grieving too. So I need to tell you this hurts me too. Oh, how are you making it? Oh, I can't believe it. That must be so devastating. But you want to pour in comfort so that their grief would come out. It's their time to grieve. And so one author said, multiply joy and divide pain. So I want to take some of your pain away. And although this is not listed, the greatest thing you can do is be a good listener. When someone is in pain, empathic listening is, man, I'm going through a hard time. Empathic listening isn't, man, I'm going through a hard time too. It's tell me more. And be the kind of person that can sit with people and say, tell me more. And just listen to where they are. And even allow them to be silent at times. Gracious God, we will be struck with grief. Or we will be surrounded by grief. But grief is coming. Holy Spirit, you are the God of all comfort who comforts us through all of our trials. God, would you carry the weight of the brokenhearted? Father, would you carry the weight of those who have lost greatly? And would you, would we be a community of Ruths to one another, friend to the brokenhearted in Jesus' name. I wonder if you'd stand with me. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.